everyone. I'm Hannah. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I am probably best known by my roommates. Um, one of them is right here. Um, so if you're wondering who the other roommate is, that's probably me. I've heard that so many times. Um, but tonight I'm going to talk on Matthew 18, 21 through 35. So if you guys want to turn there with me, I'll give you a minute to get there. And I can share with you a little bit of background on the passage. Um, this parable takes place right after Jesus is teaching the disciples about um, the procedure when someone sins against them. Um, he uses this parable to illustrate the limits, if there are any, to forgiveness. And it's really a conversation between Jesus and his disciples. Specifically, the answer to a question that Peter gives. Um, Peter is one of Jesus' closest disciples and the father of the church. Um, it's all about forgiveness. It's about how we've been forgiven, what that means um, for our response when we are wronged. And uh, that's a theme found throughout the New Testament. Um, forgiving others is a commandment because of the forgiveness that we have been shown. So um, let me pray, and then I'll read the text. Heavenly Father, um, God, thank you so much for a time where we can come together and we can um, read straight from your word the words of your son Jesus. God, I ask that you would teach us tonight, that you would let my words be clear, that your spirit would intercede, and that um, it would be helpful, um, that your presence would be here. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, <clears throat> let me read the passage, um, starting Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with the servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So I'm going to begin by going over kind of the cast of characters here. Um, in the first couple verses, we have Peter and Jesus. I already said Peter is one of Jesus' most beloved disciples. Um, and he throws out this number seven for the number of times someone should be forgiven. That might seem kind of random, um, but there are a few reasons why that number might be there. One could be to contrast with Jewish tradition, which was forgiving someone three times. After three times of being forgiven, someone didn't have to be forgiven anymore because the fourth meant that they were unrepentant. 
Um, Jesus probably surprised Peter by saying 70 times 7 or 77, depending on your translation. And Peter probably thought he was generous by saying the number 7 in the first place. That the seven could also be significant as a reference to Genesis 4.24. Um, this is right after Cain kills Abel, and God protects him, saying sevenfold vengeance will be given to anyone who hurts Cain. Um, this is Lamech's um, response when he kills a man, and he says, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. He's calling for ultimate vengeance, and it would make sense for Jesus to reference this passage as a picture of ultimate forgiveness. And lastly, the number seven often represents the fullness, and so for, God, for Jesus to say 70 times seven or 77 would be like saying fullness of fullness or infinity times infinity. So Jesus continues this pattern found in Matthew of reversing expectations and themes. You have heard it said, but I say to you, Rather than the tradition that has been taking place in Judaism, the forgiving only three times, he's saying forgiveness should be limitless. He's replacing an old way to live with a new way. So he gives the story to illustrate, and the story has three characters. There's the king or the master. Those are used interchangeably. And then there's servant one, the unforgiving servant, and servant two, helpless servant. So let's read again verses 23 through 27. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. So just to give you some perspective, 10,000 talents would be the equivalent of about $6 billion today. It would take a servant 164,000 years to pay off this debt. It would be like a factory worker trying to pay off the national debt. It just doesn't make sense. It couldn't be done. And the servant knew this. He recognized that this is a debt that he couldn't pay, but he still had humility and repentance. He fell at, the, at his master's feet. He knew that the punishment also was just and expected according to the times. But the king had compassion, which is no small act. The debt doesn't just disappear. The king absorbs the cost himself. And he's the only one that can do this. Some other servant couldn't come up and say, oh, don't worry about that $6 billion. Um, someone else couldn't forgive him that because the only person that he owed, the person that he had wronged, was the king. And so similar to the king and his servant, our debt before God is infinite. We are helpless to repay. There is no other person who can forgive us this debt. Heath cannot come up to us and say, don't worry about it, you're forgiven. Um, your transformation group leader can't come up to you and say, it's okay, you're forgiven. The Pope himself cannot come up to you and say, it's okay, you're forgiven. Um, this is something only the person we have wronged can do. But he did. God did have compassion on us. He provided an infinite payment for our sin. Even while we were sinners, even while we were running from him, Christ died for us. And when Heath or our leaders or someone reminds us of the forgiveness we've been forgiven, we can remember that it is a reminder of what was given to us by the king. Okay, so I have um, uh, my mom, who's really into ancestry. She's just, like, um, obsessed. 
<laughs> um, we go on trips and we'll see like relatives' grave sites, and she'll trace over the the tombstone, or she'll trace back the gene genealogy from before we came over on the Mayflower. I don't even know how back it goes. And I have some artifacts from the family. We, we all do, I guess. It's kind of scattered throughout our family. And some of them have really cool stories, and other ones, they're really boring, but my mom will talk your ear off about those stories anyways. <clears throat> and in my house, I have some teacups from my great-great-grandmother. Um, and if I break the teacup, then that would be a really terrible debt that I'd owe my mom. Like, oh my goodness, mom, I'm so sorry. I would feel so badly about breaking that teacup. To someone else, it might, they might think it's just a teacup. Well, a teacup, if my mom were to forgive me for breaking one of her teacups, wouldn't be that big of a deal. She can go buy another one. So I might be like, oh, thanks, mom, for the 20 bucks or $20 teacup or whatever it would cost. Um, and then you kind of move on. But if then you learn that it was my great-great-grandmother's, it carries a little bit more weight. And my mom's forgiveness carries more weight, too. Then if you learned that it came over on the Mayflower, it would carry a lot more weight. And if you learned that it was hand-painted by someone to tell a special story from our ancestors and the family, that would be a completely priceless debt uh, or item that I, I couldn't repay. I would be helpless to repay that debt to my mom. And the weight of the forgiveness that she would give me in that situation would be so much heavier. It would correspond with the weight of understanding <clears throat> what I had done against her, what I had committed against her. And so in this story, you would expect that a $6 billion debt being forgiven would carry with it this overwhelming spirit of humility, awe, thankfulness, and joy. This servant and his wife and his children, all of his belongings were spared, even though he deserved to be imprisoned, even though he deserved to be sold. So we would expect, and the passage implies, that he would extend the same experience that he's gone through to the people around him. Um, but instead, let's read what happens. In verse 28, it says, But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. So to provide perspective again, a denarii is about a day's wages for a laborer. So this was 100 denarii would probably be the equivalent of $10,000 in today's terms. So after being forgiven $6 billion, what is 10000 it would look so small. And I had a hard time understanding what $6 million looked like, so I scaled it down a little bit using the same percentages and came up with about being forgiven $10,000 and holding a penny to someone, or a million dollars and holding a dollar and 67 cents against someone. It was measly. This debt was nothing in comparison to what he had been forgiven. But instead of having a spirit of forgiveness himself, he does the opposite. He forgets the mercy that he was shown. He displays anger toward his servant, and he punishes him. And the people around him were shocked. They expected a different attitude as well. They saw it, and they thought he should have that same spirit of forgiveness toward his brother. And so I thought as I read this, what blinded him? What on earth could cause you to forget so quickly $6 billion and hold someone to something so small? 
I thought it might be just unthankfulness, pride, that he expected it to be forgiven or he thought he deserved it. Or maybe he didn't understand the weight of that. Maybe, like my budget, I eat out here and there, I pick up food or I grab coffee, and then at the end of the week you realize, oh, I spent way more than I thought. So maybe he just didn't understand it. I don't know. How do you forget this? But Because it, it wasn't his to take. It wasn't his money. Whatever the reason, he didn't appreciate the forgiveness that he was shown when it was um, all absorbed for him. And he didn't live up to the responsibility to forgive his brother accordingly. And this, again, is so similar to us. We have a myriad of reasons why we forget God's mercy for us. We become entitled or prideful. We think it's just a little white lie here, or was that really gossip? I don't know. We were only angry for a minute. They can handle it. I don't know. Sin is sin, and it hurts our father. And ultimately, we need to take seriously our sin and also the forgiveness that we have been offered. So any debt incurred against us, big or small, should be seen as small in comparison to the amount we have been forgiven by God. And so what that looks like for us as we forgive other people, it might be big and obvious. Some of you have those to forgive. But for most of us, I think it happens in the everyday irritations and the subtle hurts like when my roommate steals my clothes, or when uh, the kids I nanny for are really disobedient, Um, when someone makes a snide remark or my friend forgets to call, these little things that kind of pester and nag at you and cause you to become bitter over time. And it also happens in bigger things. For some of us, it's betrayal or abandonment, abuse or neglect. But either way, we're called to have a posture of forgiveness in everything. And Paul teaches this also. In Colossians 3, 12, and 13, he says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which, indeed, you are called in one body, and be thankful. And he teaches it again in Ephesians 4, 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. And this ties into a larger theme in the New Testament of us living a life that was bought. We had a debt of sin that was impossible for us to repay. Christ absorbed it and paid it for us. And because of that, because we understand and experience the impact of God's forgiveness for us, we can have forgiveness on the people around us. C.S. Lewis said, To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. To refuse it is to refuse God's mercy for ourselves. So if you're anything like me, you probably are focusing right now on all of the imperfections, all the ways that you have a tendency toward unforgiveness or the little reasons why you might forget God's forgiveness for you. Um, But that's really not helpful. Instead, let's remember what God has done with humility and awe and thankfulness and joy. Take sin seriously and take forgiveness seriously. Because life centered on the gospel is the only way to have a transformed heart that will permeate the other hearts around us. 
we can celebrate the joy that comes with that forgiveness and flow it into the people around us so they can experience it too. Um, Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, your forgiveness is something we can't measure, and our sin against you is something we can't measure. God, I ask that the depth of that joy of our forgiveness would cause us to live differently in the relationships that we have, that we would be quicker to forgive, that you would give us humility and awe and thankfulness and joy as we reflect on what your son, um, what you did to it for us through your son on the cross and what you do for us daily and your relationship with us and your constant grace. Let that sink in really deeply this week. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.